0: Welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to be on the mic with you guys for this very first episode. I'm excited for this opportunity. I've never done a podcast before. Um, many of you probably know me um, as as the host of the Last Stand Predator Hunting TV series on YouTube. Um, so I'm excited for the opportunity to do this podcast, um, just to elaborate on a lot of things that we do in the coyote hunting world. Um, we try to on that, on that YouTube series, we try to throw in a lot of tips and tactics, but it's, uh, it's a fine line sometimes um, when you're watching a video between talking too much and things becoming, you know, too boring. Um, so obviously a podcast is nothing but talking. So um, I'm hoping to bring you guys some great stuff um, in doing this. And a big thanks to Eastman's on this. Um, I've known Ike and Guy for a long time. I actually met him uh, while doing some seminars through the International Sportsman's Expos um, over the last 10 or 12 years. and um, they kind of approached me her earlier this summer about, uh, expanding their podcast lineup to include predator hunting. Um, so I was honored that, uh, they wanted me to do that for them. So excited for, to see what, uh, you know, they can do for this series and, and, uh, the different channels that they'll be able to send this to that maybe don't know about me or don't, don't know about what we do. But, uh, before I get going in this episode, I, I want to thank Hornady. They're the sponsor of, of this episode. Um, Hornady's a Nebraska-based company. They've been a sponsor of mine for a long time. Um, I've shot their ammo for a long time. Um, luckily for me, I shot their ammo long before they became a sponsor of mine, um, which is always a big bonus. Um, you know, I've shot a lot of different bullet types, um, over the last 20 years at Coyotes. I specifically started shooting an AR-15 in 2004. Um, so over the last 17 years, I've shot, you know, lots of various types of bullets, um, you know, in the 223 platform. Uh, just recently, here, maybe in the last four or five years, they developed a new 53 grain round, and it's specifically designed to shoot out of the 223. Um, you know, the ballistic coefficients, the terminal ballistic, of this bullet are just phenomenal. The best bullet I've shot out of a 223 by far, um, just with the terminal ballistics, meaning from the time the, the bullet impacts the coyote till the energy's gone. Um external ballistics are, are really good for a, a 223 round. And then just out of my rifle alone, you know, I shoot a factory a Daniel Defense MK-12, and it shoots, you know, half-inch groups, which is pretty phenomenal, factory rifle shooting factory ammunition to get that. So, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's it's a phenomenal bullet. If you had a chance to try it, it's, it's tough to find right now, obviously, um, but if you can find them um, and you're looking for something to try out of your, your AR-15 for coyotes, um, it's the bullet you want to shoot. So a big thanks to Hornady for sponsoring this first episode. So throughout this, this episode is going to be maybe a little shorter than, than some. Um, really, I just wanted to give everybody a, an introduction to the show, um, an introduction to myself and my background. I think, you know, as we get to going through these episodes and talking about a, a huge variety of different things, I think it's important that people know my background and um, how I got to where I am and um, the experiences I've had hunting coyotes over the last 25 years. So, you know, throughout this podcast, you're going to get, you know, some great guests. Obviously, you, you might know Rick Paulette; um, He's the other host of The Last Stand, a show we film on YouTube. Um, he's just a crazy guy. You know, we always have a huge amount of fun when we hunt together. Um, and he's been doing this, you know, even way longer than I have. So I'm going to have him on. Uh, you know, I have a bunch of other great friends that uh, I hunt coyotes with, guys that have, um, you know, incredible stories and backgrounds in the coyote world. One in particular, a uh, friend of mine, Lane Bangerter actually won the first world championships. Uh, Lane and I were partners in that in 2014, and he was a government trapper up in Idaho and Utah for, for many, many years. Uh, and he's also been in politics and things like that. So he's, he's seen a ton, but he's got some incredible stories, aerial gunning stories, trapping coyotes, um, poisoning coyotes, things, you know, back... Uh, back in the 70s and 80s when when they were really trying to thin out coyotes Um, so I'm gonna have him on just a bunch of other guys Uh, we're gonna talk about stories and and different hunts that we've had Um, you know some some coyote contest stories you know 30 coyotes in a weekend you know and we get second place the same year we killed 22 coyotes in a contest at worlds and we get second um, you know, probably the two best contests I've ever had and we ended up getting second place. So stories like that, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, a day or two after we have particular hunts, you know, whether it's hunting with my boys, whether it's, um, I had a, have a coyote school, uh, guided hunt, whatever it may be, uh, filming a show. Um, and we're going to get on here and we're going to talk about those hunts and all the kind of tips and tactics that went along with that, along with just the stories, um, but, yeah, you're going to get lots of tips and tactics. Like I mentioned, you know, on the the YouTube series, The Last Stand, we try to throw in lots and lots of tips and tactics on that, but it's a fine line before it becomes too boring with too much talking. So obviously a podcast is nothing but talking. So I'm really hoping I can elaborate on a lot of things that, that you'll be able to learn and pick up a lot more new things that maybe you didn't think of or, uh, you know, things that will just carry you a little bit more further the next time you're out trying to call coyotes. uh, To kind of, kind of give you a little history about myself, um, you know, I grew up hunting. Uh, I didn't grow up hunting coyotes. Uh, I hunted with my dad. Uh, We, you know, he took me uh, pheasant hunting, waterfowl hunting. You know, took me out to shoot my first deer when I was fourteen at the time. Now, actually, in Nebraska, you can shoot coyotes when you're ten. But uh, uh, yeah, took me out deer hunting. Um, I actually shot my first coyote um, when I was fourteen while we were deer hunting and it was kind of like you know we're deer hunting but we see a coyote so now it turns into a coyote hunting kind of thing um and we were driving through the pasture um i was shooting a my dad had a lever action a 308 with with a fixed i think it was about a six power fixed scope on it um and uh sure enough this coyote ran across the little two track in front of us um, and i bailed out and leaned across the hood and the coyote ran out there about 100 yards and stopped and looked back and i shot Hit it right in the head. I know I wasn't aiming at the head, but, uh, you know, that was the first coyote I ever killed, so it was pretty exciting. It wasn't until a few years later, um, I turned 16, had my own vehicle at the time. Uh, some buddies and I loaded up shotguns, 22s, And here in Nebraska, we don't have a lot of public land. I mean, I think we're about 3% public land, and, and the public areas around here usually have some sort of parking area where you pull in and park, and then you have to walk it, maybe a couple thousand acres that some rancher uh, leased out to the state to turn into public or something like that. Um, so we went out to this particular area, you know, south of town to just do some shooting. Well, they're in this gravel parking lot. As we pulled in, I look across, and I see something laying in the gravel. So I walk over there, and it is a lanyard of hand calls, predator calls. Um, and there's four or five of them on there. Um, and they were actually uh, some of Major Boddicker's critter calls. Uh, I had some, a little peewee and a howler, and there was a couple off- off name uh, closed read calls on there. So obviously somebody had been out there calling coyotes, and when he was loading up his vehicle to leave, he dropped his set of calls. So um, it was a huge find for me. Um, I knew what they were. I had known a little bit about calling coyotes. You know, this is back in the the early '90s, so you know the internet wasn't big. There wasn't social media. R- you know, even some of these magazines weren't uh, that are out there. the predator magazines weren't out there. So there wasn't a whole lot of information um, to go look up and find, so kind of just started on my own. I, I went home. I'm sure I annoyed the crap out of my parents blowing these hand calls and kind of figuring them out, you know. And if you've ever blown an open read call or a closer, it's pretty easy to do, especially the rabbit. You know, just making a rabbit distress. Um, you know, started messing around with the howlers a little bit. Wasn't very good at that at all, but I figured, you know, if nothing else, I can go out and blow on this this wounded rabbit call and maybe get something to come in. So um, I actually asked my dad. Um, he, he had, he had always been the one that had lined up permission for us to go out and, and hunt deer and things like that. But I asked my dad about the, the particular ranch where we usually go deer hunting on if, if that ranch would let me come out there and try to call a coyote. So my dad gave me his phone number and I called up called him up and, and, uh, he said, yeah, sure. Come on out. So uh, I loaded up one afternoon by myself, um, had no clue what I was doing, had a, a 25 odd six rifle that I shot deer with, um put my camo on and throw through the hand calls around my neck and I headed out. Um, had no clue what I was going to do. Um, you know, I, I remember parking my truck and walking up to this little hill where this fence line was. And I thought, you know what, this looks pretty good. I can see quite a ways and I'm going to lay right up here on the top of this, this top of this hill right on the fence line. And then I can really see far. Um, I had no idea of what the wind was doing. Um, it was, it was, you know, an experience for sure. So, I started blowing on the call and it wasn't just a couple minutes in. I looked to my left down the fence line and there's a coyote standing there at about 80 yards. And you know, I'm a left-handed shooter laying on my stomach. So it's very hard for me to get turned, turned and swing back to my left. So I've, I just kind of sat there staring at the coyote. He was staring at me. Obviously I was blowing a hand call. So he knew right where I was, where I was and, and saw me laying there. I don't think he knew what I was. Um, and now that I look back on this, this was fall time. So I'm assuming now that this was probably a, a pup coyote, you know, a six month old coyote that didn't know much better. Um, but slowly, but surely I kept just turning my body really slow, really slow, really slow. And the whole time this coyote just stood there looking at me, um, and finally got turned enough where I could, uh, get the coyote in the crosshairs and, and shot and dropped him right in his tracks. Um, at that point I was hooked. I thought to myself, man, this is, this is easy. These coyotes are stupid. And there's a bunch of them. Um, so I went home, told my dad about it, and spent the whole whole winter you know uh, t- took my best friend out at that point, told him about it. We went out and tried and we did not kill another called in coyote the entire winter. We probably called in 30 or 40 coyotes, um, but you know they start circling us, they start winding us. they start doing a bunch of things that um, you know happens in coyote hunting and, and then obviously we start learning and start saying, oh yeah, we need to, you know, worry about where our wind's going. We need to worry about where we're set up, if the coyotes can see us or not. Um, and that just progressed over, over the course of high school, essentially, you know, until I was 18, 19 and, and we started killing a few more coyotes, but we were still educating way, way more coyotes, uh, than we ever got killed. And, uh, after I graduated high school, I was tired of school. So I decided, uh, I was going to go join the Marine Corps, um, and so so for four years i didn't didn't get to hunt a whole lot uh every now and then i'd come home on leave once or twice a year and if it was the right time of year we might go out and hunt coyotes and I'd shoot a few but um you know didn't really get to do a whole lot Uh, in in terms of coyote hunting you know during those four years Um, but during those four years in the marine corps i I was in marine corps infantry i had a side um, mos with security forces so i spent uh, some time early on in in the marine corps in security forces school and my uh, rifle shooting skills were good enough that uh, uh, through some scores and, and rifle qualifications and things that I got picked to go to designated marksman school, which um, is, is really like a, I kind of explain it to people. It's more like a, a SWAT sniper, uh, you know, the guy that's maybe across the, the street in a building, um, you know, seeing, getting eyes on a hostage situation or something like that. It's not a scout sniper that's sneaking around you know, out in the bush with a ghillie suit on and taking 1,000-yard shots and things like that. Um, it's not nearly uh, as extensive training program. But, um, you know, a lot of our shooting was, you know, 300 yards and closer. You know, precision shooting, you know, where, you know not just shooting a, a bad guy in the head. You know, where exactly in the head can I shoot this guy so that he can't pull a trigger or release a detonator or something like that. So I um, was able to, to go to that school. Obviously, that enhanced my marksmanship skills quite a bit. Um, and then uh, spent a year in Bahrain. Uh, after that, I came back to the fleet. I was out in North Carolina with 1.6 Weapons Company. 81-millimeter um, mortars was actually my MOS uh, that, uh, that was selected for me. Uh, I was pretty bummed at the time. I obviously like shooting rifles. I wasn't real stoked about shooting uh, big mortars, but uh, it's, it is where I ended up, and there wasn't a whole lot I could do with it. So, um, but spent four years in the Marine Corps. Um, when I got out um, in 2002... I decided, you know what, I, I was ready to go back to school. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, um, but I had the GI Bill, which is obviously a huge benefit. Um, so I started going to college. Um, and that first summer I got out of college, I started working for a guy uh, with in a landscape company. Um, and it was pretty much primarily lawn mowing. Um, and I did that. I worked some concrete. Um, and obviously going to college, I had a lot of time in the winters. Um, I did a little, little work in the winters, but not much. So it gave me time to hunt quite a bit. Um, and then as I'm progressing through my college career, um, I ended up buying the business from that guy the following summer. Um, so essentially for the next two years, I built up this lawn care business and this is key to probably one of the biggest keys to where I am today is me starting this lawn care business. Um, you know, when I graduated college, I have a bachelor's degree in marketing um, but when I graduated, you know, here locally, the probably you know the main jobs you were looking at would be you know selling radio ads uh, for the for the radio station, newspaper, you know, something in the marketing. There wasn't uh, you know any jobs in the in the hunting industry around here or anything like that, unless I wanted to move. And I really wasn't um, looking to move. You know, we had just recently been married, and um, you know we were looking to you know settle down here in western Nebraska. So. Um, I decided at that point I'd built up the lawn care business enough that I was making more money doing that than what I could if I quit that and went and started a job using my marketing degree somewhere. So the cool part about that was at that point, obviously the lawn care business, you know, keeps me busy from about March through maybe the middle to end of October. Um, and it left me pretty much the whole winter, uh, to spend time hunting, you know, more time hunting than somebody working a normal eight to five job, you know, um, 12 months out of the year. So, that really allowed me at that point to spend a lot of time hunting. Now, early on, I hunted a lot of different things. I hunted a waterfowl quite a bit. Um, I hunted big game, um, you know, and then I, I hunted coyotes. And, you know, after a, a couple years, I realized, you know, if I, and, and you may be in the same boat, you only have so many days a year that you can hunt coyotes, whether, or hunt in general, not just coyotes, but um, it may be 10, 10 days a winter. It may be 50 or 60 days a winter, depending on what your job is and and family life and things like that well me you know i was able to hunt you know maybe 40 50 days a winter and at that point you know i was maybe hunting a waterfowl you know 20 of those days you know big game another eight or ten days and then coyote hunting about 20 days so there in maybe the mid 2000s i said you know what i out of all the hunting i do coyote hunting is is what i really love to do the most and I wanted to get, you know, as good as I possibly could at it. So I realized, you know, if I, if I only have 50 days to hunt a year, I got to spend more than half of those hunting coyotes if I want to get good. Because I knew at that point, trial and error was, was how I was learning and how I was getting better at hunting coyotes, just calling in lots and lots of coyotes and, and experience in all those different situations. So from that point forward, you know, I took my, you know, 50 days of hunting a year and I started spending 40 of those hunting coyotes instead of 20. Um, and I cut back on everything else. Uh, It wasn't that I didn't like it anymore. It's just, I just really liked hunting coyotes more. Um, you know, at that point I thought, you know what it, I would like to, you know, dip my hands into into guiding coyote hunts a little bit. Um, and I had a a good buddy at the time that was a fishing guide. So he kind of helped me out a little bit, kind of pointing me in the right direction on how to get started with something like that. Um, and I remember, you know, early 2000s. Really, there wasn't social media. The internet still wasn't real big. Um, so I remember advertising in the Denver Post classified section uh, for guided coyote hunts up in Nebraska. Um, and and I would only book a handful a year in the winter. And I was really hoping to supplement some income in the winter. Um, you know, obviously, uh, since I wasn't working. And uh, and so brought in some some guided coyote hunts after doing that for two or three years. And I'll bring some stories up. I got a couple pretty interesting comical stories from early on that that I'll bring up in later podcasts um but uh you know at that point I learned you know I I just that wasn't what I really wanted to do was guide coyote hunts um I I'd love to teach the aspect of it and, and teach everybody and and share with people what I've learned so far um I've never been real secretive about um what I've learned even though it's taken me a long long time and a lot a lot of effort to get to where I am in terms of, of knowing, you know, how to hunt coyotes. Um, But I'm not afraid to share that with people. I know there are some guys out there that are secretive and I, and I get it. I, I see, you know, you spend a lot of time and effort getting to where you're in. And if some people are out there just lazy, maybe they just don't have the time. And I understand that, you know what, you can kind of say, heck with you. I don't want to share that information. I I spent a lot of time doing it, but I've never really felt that way. So um, I thought, you know, there's gotta be something different out there. So in the late 2000s, um, two things happened. I decided, you know, there was kind of a video, uh, revolution going on out there. Uh, you know, Rick Paulette had had some videos out, Randy Anderson, Les Johnson had had some, some coyote hunting DVDs out and, and I'd watched them and I thought, you know what? I, I see this stuff all the time now, you know, why, why don't I try to video and try to put out something? I felt like I could put out something, you know, just as good or comparable to, to what they were putting out. So I invested some money in, in camera gear, Um, and started uh, videoing our hunts and in 2008 i released my first dvd called coyote craze volume one dead in their tracks Um, in 2010 i released volume two Um, it was called feeding the addiction and then in 2012 uh, i released the third one in the series called fur fever now over that course of five or six years videoing that i didn't shoot very many coyotes at all you know i was always the one behind the camera i felt like if if I was going to get good footage, I had to commit myself to the camera, um, and I would do the calling and I would run the camera and I'd let my buddies and my family and everybody else shoot the coyotes. Um, so I got away from the gun a little bit. My shooting suffered. Um, I know you know when I would still hunt contests in between filming and stuff, uh, my shooting wasn't what I expected or what I was used to. So I did see you know that go down uh, because of that. But on the same hand, um, you know that experience got me into the industry, I guess you could say. Um, it it got me in touch with, with some partners that I still have today um, and, uh, you know, kind of got me into the commercial side of things, um, which I'll talk about here in a second. But um, throughout that time, I, I realized that, you know, there's, there's a need for people wanting to learn more about coyote hunting. And through my DVD series, I would do um, instructional segments and things like that to try to uh, you know, put stuff out there. But there's only so much you can put on a two-hour DVD, you know. Um, so at that point, I started something called Coyote Craze College. Um, and I started this in 2010. And, and really what it is um, is is the only instructional school in the country to come and learn how to hunt coyotes. And and how I set that up is the first day is all instructional-based. Um, I rent out the boardroom at our, our local Hampton Inn. There's a whiteboard. Everybody gets course workbooks. We, you know, it's about seven or eight hours worth of classroom stuff, A to Z, everything I've ever learned and everything I know about coyote hunting, we're talking about it. Um, and then the second day of class, we actually go out and hunt. So, um, and then you can actually book an additional third day if you want as well. So um, started that in 2010. you know, since then I've, I've built that up. Um, I usually run five, four or five classes a year, three guys per class. Um, it fills up pretty quick. Um, you know, obviously there's a, there's a huge demand for it. Somebody can come out to a class like that and learn a lot of things in, in a couple days that may take them, you know, two or three years or more of learning on their own depending on how much they can actually make it out and hunt coyotes. So uh, it's been fun. I met some great guys in, during that. Uh, I love hearing from these guys after they come to the class and they go back to wherever part of the country they come from and uh, hearing their success stories on how, you know, how they're killing more coyotes and and using some tactics that, uh, you know, they learned at the school. So that kind of all worked together between the DVDs and the school Um, you know, towards 2013, 2014, YouTube started picking up quite a bit. Um, the DVD market just bottomed out. Uh, there really wasn't a need for it anymore. There was people now putting, putting footage and content on YouTube and, you know, consumers could watch for free. They didn't have to go out and buy anything anymore. So, um, I decided, you know, DVDs wasn't, wasn't the way to go anymore. Um, and then, uh, you know, probably in about 2014, 2015, that's kind of when I met, Met up with Rick Paulette and Lucky Duck, and, and I'll have Rick on the show in the future, and we'll kind of talk about a lot more detail on how, how him and I met. A lot of people ask me that question, you know, how, how do I get hooked up with Rick and Lucky Duck and things like that? And I'll bring them on, and we'll talk about that. But, uh, you know, that was about the time I got hooked in with Lucky Duck. They were just starting to develop, you know, electronic call series. Um, and, and at the time, I'd used Fox Pro up, you know, up till about 2014, 2015. Um, it, at the time it was the best out there, you know, and I was excited at the time to work with a company that was wanting to listen to, you know, coyote killers like myself and and Rick and develop something that maybe other manufacturers uh, weren't able to put out on the market. And uh, so that's been exciting over the last handful of years, working with Lucky Duck and uh, developing this line of e-calls now that that you can find. Um, We also started filming a a TV show, you know, Lucky Duck said, hey, you know, in conjunction with us putting out this line of electronic calls, we think we want to, want to put out a, a video series, uh, so people can see these calls in action. And, and, uh, obviously Rick and I were a great fit cause we'd been in the DVD business. We had done the filming thing. Um, so, um, ultimately it was a way better deal for me because now, you know, we have a production company and camera guys that come with us and I just get to hunt. Um, I don't have to worry about running the camera or anything like that. And, and these camera guys we use are phenomenal. They catch everything. We hunt just like we normally would if there was no cameras. Um, you know, I've watched, hunting shows in the past and they say, Hey, if we can't get a coyote on camera, we're not going to kill it. That's not our philosophy. When we film, it's pretty much, we're going to kill coyotes just like we normally do. And hopefully the cameraman gets it. Um, and luckily we have some great, great camera guys, and they capture probably 95% of everything we call in and kill. Um, so that's what makes these shows fun and, and exciting. So, so yeah, we're, we're entering the fourth season of the last stand that'll actually launch here in November. Um, so excited, uh, you know, to put that out there again. Um, but, uh, you know, over the course of that whole deal, you know, over the last, you know, maybe 15 years and and through this progression, you know, I've been able to hunt coyotes a little bit more every year, um, you know, which has just helped. You know, when you're calling in and killing, you know, for the last handful of years, you know, I've killed over 300 coyotes a year. You know, you're probably calling in somewhere in the, in the ballpark of maybe 400 or 450 coyotes. I don't know. Um, with all the guided hunts and stuff, we're not killing, obviously, all of them every time. Um, so I'm seeing lots and lots of coyotes. I, I have the chance to hunt in probably six or seven different states every year. Um, I think I've hunted in maybe 14 or 15 states total. You know, southeast Georgia, uh, Illinois, east Kansas, you know, the southwest, the west, the northwest, the midwest. Um, lots and lots of different trains and, and different situations, um, you know, that, that I've got to experience, which has helped mold all my theories and things that you're going to get to hear about through this podcast series. Um, so it's been exciting, uh, to see that. And, uh, and now that my boys are old enough, I have three boys, um, Creighton's 14, Carver's 13 and Colton seven. Um, you know, they've all killed, they all killed their first coyotes when they were five, all on camera. Which is probably something I'm the most proud of. I don't know why it's, but it's just something when they were all born, I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get them into coyote hunting. Um, to this point, they're probably spoiled. I don't even know if they really, if coyote hunting is their most favorite thing to hunt just because they get to do it all the time. I mean, they've been in on 18 coyote days, 15 coyote days. Uh, the oldest ones have, have been in and won a couple of contests with us now. Um, so it's almost like they want to hunt other things just because they don't get to do it, you know, turkeys and ducks and geese and things like that. So, um, I do find myself at some point trying to go back when I told you, you know, if I only have so many days to hunt, I'm going to spend as most as majority of my can hunting coyotes at this point, you know, with my boys, I, I have to spend a few more days, maybe trying to get them out to shoot their first deer and, you know, take them to experience some sitting in the goose pit, um, you know, take them out and call in a turkey for them and things like that so they can experience everything. So that's been exciting. Probably the most fun I've had coyote hunting is, is watching these boys grow up now, you know, as 13, 14 year olds. Um if you ever have the chance to watch them, you might even have seen them. We've we filmed a couple last stand episodes with them. Um, you know, they, they act like they, you know, they're 30 year old veterans, you know, that have been shooting coyotes forever. Um, it's kind of funny to watch them talk. So I'm excited to see where they go. Who knows? They might not even want to hunt coyotes down the road, but uh but it's been fun getting them to where they're at. Well, that's really um kind of a rundown of of the history of of kind of how I got into coyote hunting how I got to where I am um, in the world, Um, you know, at this point, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what the future holds. There's a lot of technology changes coming along, Uh, you know, thermal, you know, I started getting into the thermal game uh, here a couple years ago. Uh, You know, that's a game changer. I know we have lots and lots of thermal hunters. We're going to talk about that. Um, Although I don't do that nearly as much as day, day calling, um, there are some huge advantages, thermal, which obviously most of you know already, um, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to try to film a thermal episode this year uh, for The Last Stand, which I'm excited about. Uh, they just opened up uh, night hunting in Kansas last year, so we're going to go down to Rick's in January uh, with thermal and try to record that, so I'm excited to see how that turns out, but uh, um, but yeah, that should give you a rundown. Hopefully that gives you a little history on, on myself, where I come from. Um, what you're going to expect from this uh, podcast down the road. Um, you know, if, if you want to find out any information more about myself, I have a website, and that's coyotecraze.com. Uh, you can find links to the YouTube Last Stand series there. You can find links to various magazine articles I've written over the years. Um, you can find all my social media links there. Instagram is really where I, I post the most of my content, and that's just at Jeff Nimnick. If you just go to the search and type in G-E-O-F-F, I'll probably be one of the first two that come up. Um, follow along there, especially now that it's coyote hunting season. Um, I post all kinds of stories, cool pictures, things that happen while we're out, um, and, and, and everything that goes with there. But uh, but that's about all I have for this podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. Hopefully you'll tune back in for upcoming episodes. Uh, once again, want to thank Hornady for sponsoring this first episode um, and, and Eastman's for uh, bringing me on board to their podcast lineup. So until next time, have a great one. Thanks.